It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. God said to the human race, you can follow me or you can rebel against me. I give you a choice. Now, Pastor, why did God give us a choice? Why didn't he just make us follow him? True love cannot be coerced. God wants to love us, but love logically necessitates choice. If I said to that lady, you will marry me, you will say I do at the altar, and when I get home, you will clean my house, you will cook for me, love is not going to blossom in that kind of environment. Murder might, but love won't. That's Chad Harvey, and welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad. starting to see the enemy manifest in a way that we've never seen him manifest before. Now, I want you to look at this. Verse 2. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Do you see the question in verse two? Verse two is this. Who can take back the title deed? This place has been under Satan's control for too long. Horrible things are happening. Who is worthy to take this scroll back and say it belongs to me? And nobody in heaven was found worthy. And if you look there in verse four, John began to weep. He began to cry. In fact, if you look at the words, he is crying a lot. He is sobbing. What's his problem? Why is John crying? Was it a little crybaby? Why is he crying so much? Listen to me. It's the cries that you have cried under this world that is under Satan's control. Adam and Eve cried those same tears when they lost the title deed to planet Earth. You've cried those same tears When you've had an infant to die in infancy, God says, I never meant, that's not what I want to happen. It's the fallen world. You've cried those same tears when you watch the news and you see the Taliban sweeping through Afghanistan and you know that these young girls are going to be brutalized and it brings tears to your eyes. It's the same tears John cried. It's the same tears you've cried when you've lost a loved one to cancer. God said, I never meant for cancer to ravage the earth. That was not part of my perfect plan. And when you've lost that family member and you've wept, it's the same tears that John wept, the tears of a lost and fallen world. Verse five. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sits on the throne. 
Jesus says, I'll take it. And he walks up and says, there's a new sheriff in town. Satan has had this place too long. I'm now taking the title deed back for myself. And to understand what's happening, you have to understand um, that Judaism had a classic hero. You know, we've, we've got heroes in American film, American culture. Like, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the movie. Like, uh, there's a Bruce Willis movie. Uh, what's the thing called? Uh, Death Wish or something where his, somebody kills his family and, uh, and he goes and takes revenge. It's an old Charles Bronson remake. And so that's one of the heroes. We'll have movies where somebody takes revenge on the people who hurt their family or their loved ones. That's one kind of hero. Then you have the superhero. Like the normal average person that turns into some kind of great superhero like Clark Kent or um, Bruce Wayne or Tony Stark. So we have these categories of superheroes. Judaism had a category of hero. It was called the, here's the term, the kinsman redeemer. The, the Hebrew word is goel. Kinsman redeemer. In fact, I'm gonna give you all your, your homework. Jot this down. Here's your homework for next week. I want you to read the book of Ruth. It's a very short book. You can read through it. The book of Ruth is all about this Jewish hero concept of the kinsman redeemer or the goel. And what that person would do is they would win back property that had been lost. So this per person, this poor person has their property taken away from them. This poor person loses their property and the kinsman or redeemer, he's the hero. He'd come back and win the property. And to be a goel, a kinsman redeemer, you had to have several things. Look at this. Number one, you had to be a relative. So if you read the book of, of Ruth, Boaz is the relative of Ruth, this poor lady who loses the land. You had to be related to the person. To be a kinsman redeemer, number two, you had to be strong enough to take the land back. It's interesting, Boaz is a strong man, and Boaz in Hebrew, ba, means uh, uh, from, oz, strength, it means the man who has strength, okay? So you had to be strong enough to take the land back. Number three, to be the kinsman redeemer, you had to be willing to do it. You can't be coerced into it, you have to be willing to do it. And then number four, you have to be rich enough to assume the debt of the person you're trying to help. Y'all with me on that? That's the kinsman redeemer who wins the land back for the person who lost it. And in this passage, Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. We lost the title deed to planet earth, but number one, remember, he's our relative. In verse five, he's called the root of David. That talks about the humanity of Jesus. That's a messianic title, which means biologically, he came from David. Jesus was fully God and fully man, and in his humanity, he is of the root of David. So he's one of us, in other words. And in fact, in Romans and Hebrews, both, it calls Jesus our older brother. Some of y'all are teased mercilessly by an older brother. He'd give you noogies and swirlies and all that kind of stuff, And but Jesus is a good older brother. He's a relative, he's one of us. Um, he had to be strong enough to take the land back. Jesus is strong enough. Verse five, it calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's from Genesis 49, that's the title of the Messiah. Lions are powerful. I've seen lions up close, they're powerful creatures. He also is called, verse six, the lamb, but it's a lamb with seven horns. Seven is the biblical number of perfection, you know that. Horns in Hebrew symbolize strength because animals fight with their horns. And this is saying that this lamb is strong. He has all power, all might, all strength. 
Remember the third thing about the kinsman redeemer? I told you they had to be willing to, to buy the land back. You couldn't force them to do it. Jesus is willing. Verse seven, it says he took the scroll. It wasn't forced on him. And then remember I told you the kinsman redeemer had to assume all the debts of the person that lost the lamb, the land. Did Jesus assume our debts? He is, the Bible calls him, verse six, the lamb that was slain. Your perversion, your wickedness, your iniquities, my sin, my wickedness was placed on Jesus. Jesus assumed our debts. He is the lamb that was slain. He is our kinsman redeemer. Now, here's what I was going to do, because I know we're running out of time, and you know I don't want to bore you by reading a bunch of Bible. I, I, can't, um, I can't skip over what I'm about to read. It's too good to skip over. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. There are mountaintops in the Bible. And can I be honest with you, since we're all family here and whatever, there are some valleys there. That, like the genealogies. Maybe y'all get into the genealogies. I don't get into the genealogy. I know there's good stuff behind it. I get it, but I don't, that doesn't inspire me like it probably should, okay? The um, sacrificial system in Leviticus. There's good stuff there that's a reflection on Jesus. Okay, y'all understand what I'm saying? Y'all, I'm sounding like a heretic now. I love the Bible, okay? But there are some mountaintops. And this is a mountaintop right here. Planet Earth has been under Satan's control for too long. And the lamb that was slain comes up and says, give it to me, I'll take it. And when Jesus takes the title deed of planet earth back, explosive worship happens in heaven. Verse eight, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders and the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, blessing and honor, glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and under the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said amen and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever that's Jesus and beloved I'm gonna tell you what I told you two weeks ago what I just read to you right there would you stop for just a second what I just read right there could happen today there's not one prophecy left to be fulfilled before Jesus raptures his church. That could happen today. Jesus may choose today as the day to take back planet earth. And, and after this happens, after you read this, it starts the seven years of tribulation, the seven year process of Jesus reclaiming his earth. Now, pastor, how does this apply? Everyone wants an application. How does this apply, pastor? Because, uh, you know, I want something about vision and dreams and reaching my goals. I'm not going to give you any of that, but there's some application here. First application is this. What I just read to you 
explains a lot as to why bad things happen. You witness to people long enough, somebody's going to ask you this question. You believe in God? Yeah. Well, Pastor, you, you believe in a good God? Yeah. You believe God's in charge? Yeah. Then why is all this bad stuff happening? I mean, this rattled my cage before. I, I remember, I don't know how old I was, but I, was, I remember looking at these pictures on TV of these kids dying in Ethiopia because of the famine. Y'all remember that? The famine that was there, bloated bellies, and it really, it kind of shook my faith. If God is good, why are all these little kids dying of starvation? You know what's interesting? There's more than enough food to feed everybody in the world multiple times over. Do you know part of it was evil warlords would not let the food get to these kids? See, we're blaming God. God said, no, it's actually y'all's fault. I've given you the food. Y'all just aren't getting it there, okay? Uh, I remember there's a school shooting a little while back. And this school shooting happened. And I don't know what news station I was watching, but they said, uh, how could God let this happen? <laughs> God. You know, somebody said one time, the human race treats God the same way the average church treats the sound guy. As long as everything is going well, he doesn't exist. But when something messes up, what's wrong with the idiot? Why is this, you know? That's how we treat God. We ignore him until there's a school shooting. What's wrong with it? Where's God? That's interesting. I was reading an interview with Ted Turner. Y'all know who Ted Turner is? The, the uh, media mogul, uh, started CNN and all that. He's an agnostic. But he grew up considering himself a Christian. In fact, at one time, he considered becoming a missionary until his sister contracted a rare form of lupus. And this particular form was incredibly painful. Ted Turner in this interview said, my sister used to go around the apartment praying, God, I'm in such pain. God, let me die. God, let me die. He said, I would pray for an hour at a time for her. And in this interview, Ted Turner said, how could God let my sister suffer so much? She did nothing wrong. She was only 12 years old. Why did God let that happen? And that's when he lost his faith. The simple answer is this. God's perfect plan perfect plan was never for 12 year old girls to get lupus God's perfect plan God's will is not that children die of starvation with bloated stomachs every night that's not God's will but God said to the human race you can follow me or you can rebel against me I give you a choice now pastor why did God give us a choice why didn't he just make us follow him true love cannot be coerced God wants to love us but love logically necessitates choice. If I said to that lady, you will marry me, you will say I do at the altar, and when I get home, you will clean my house, you will cook for me, love is not going to blossom in that kind of environment. Murder might, but love won't. <laughs> and God could have said to the human race, you will follow me, you will not rebel, you'll do everything I said. That's not called a human being, it's called a robot. And God gave us a choice and we chose to rebel against God. And when that happened, all this evil came into this world and that's when Satan took control. That, that may not answer all of your questions, but don't throw all this on God, okay? Now here's the good news. One day the God of the universe will come back and he's gonna bring justice and everything's gonna be just like it's supposed to be. God will make things right. If I didn't believe that, if I did not believe that God is going to come back one day and Jesus is going to make everything right and he's going to bring justice, I would be the craziest man in the world. I would lose it. I don't know that I could stick around here. Um, God is a God of justice. 
I probably shouldn't share this, but I'm, I'm going to, and I'm not gloating over the downfall of somebody. The Bible warns us not to gloat over the downfall of, of people. But I remember about a year and a half, two years ago, when Andrew Cuomo signed that abortion law, which I believe is the most wicked law ever signed in American history, because now it made infanticide legal, and everybody clapped, and they lit up the Empire State Building. I told my wife, I said, mark my words, God's not gonna let them get away with that. And when I heard about the nursing home deaths, trying to sweep that under the rug, I said the same thing. God's not gonna let them get away with it. Guess what? God didn't let them get away with it. And here's my point, here's my point. What happened there is gonna happen cosmically one day. And I don't wanna bash him because look, if God took all sinners out of the world at 12 o'clock, how many of us would be here at 12.01, okay? So I understand, but my, my point is this. One day, God is going to make everything right. We live in a fallen world. Second application is this. What I just read, Revelation chapter five, ought to make you rest and relax in the Lord Jesus Christ because you now know everything is going according to plan. God's got a plan. Everything's going according to the plan. Stop stressing out. I'm, look, I'm not telling you to get off Facebook, but y'all's sanity might be spared if you did or backed off the Fox News or something because you're looking at all this mess going on. And it's getting messier every week. And now it's Afghanistan. And Al Qaeda's rising up. And they're going to bomb America again. You, you look at all that, you're going to lose your mind. Reading this, I realize it's not chaotic. God knows what's going on. He's got a plan. And uh, this past week, I was, no, Darla and I, the second week we were gone, uh, we went to the beach. I just sat on the beach. I've never done this before. I just sat on the beach for several hours. And one day, I sat out there and I meditated on 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. And here's what it says. It, it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he'll exalt you in due time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, I've told you this before. There is a connection in humility and peace. The reason some of y'all are worried and anxious all the time, it's a control issue. You want to be in control. You want to be in control of what happens to your family, your finances, COVID, the government, you want things to go according to your plan. And you see things coming towards you in the future and it looks like I'm not gonna be able to control that and it's driving you crazy. There is a connection between anxiety and control. I just read a passage and that passage, Revelation 5, basically says that Jesus is in control. Everything's going according to his plan. And you start living like that. Like you actually believe that there is a plan and God is in control. You just kind of sit back and relax and say, God, it's not my problem, it's your problem. I'm gonna kind of sit back, pop my popcorn, eat my popcorn as I watch this drama and see what you're gonna do next, God, but I'm not in control, you are. You with me on that? And uh, you know, a couple years ago, I don't know if this is legal or, or illegal. I may have done something illegal. How many of y'all like to hear a pastor say that? I may have done something illegal. Um, this guy's passed away and he's gone on to be with Jesus so he can't be arrested. He was a pilot. He, he was a pilot instructor. And he took me up in an airplane one time. And it was beautiful. Now, I'm not a big fan of heights, but we were way up there in that airplane. And he said, Chad, you want to fly this thing? I don't know if you're supposed to turn it over to me or not, but I said, I, I guess. And he turned the controls over to me. And I was white knuckled. I'm, I'm holding on to this thing. And I'm thinking, man, if I do this or this, I could crash this thing. And I, I did not enjoy myself as much as I thought I was going to. 
And had we hit some turbulence, had we hit a thunderstorm, I, I would have been, I would have been a basket case. I would have lost my mind. And so when he finally said, have you had enough? I said, yeah. And I turned it back over to him. I was able to relax. Now, the reason why some of y'all are white-knuckled, anxious, scared all the time is you want to control your family, your finances, the government, the COVID, the this, the that, and I got the best news I can give you. You are not in control. He is. So turn it over to him and relax in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why, hey, some of you need to give your life over to Jesus today. You've never done that before. Jesus said this. Come to me, all you stressed out, weary, tired people, and I will give you rest. There's nothing more restful than to turn your past over to Jesus, your present over to Jesus, and your future over to Jesus, to cast it all on him. If you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, I want you to bow with me right now. I want you to forget about everybody else in this place except for me and Jesus. And I want you to listen to my voice. And I want you to say this to Jesus, but don't just repeat words. Mantras don't save you. Mean this with all your heart. Say this to Jesus. Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm a messed up person. I'm a sinner. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. You died for my sins. Thank you, Jesus. I believe you were buried. Jesus, I believe God raised you up. You're alive right now. Now, this is so important. Say to him, Lord, I turn away from all my sins. And I turn to you. Say this to him. Forgive me of all my sins. Take control of my life. And take me to heaven when I die. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen. You say, is that it? I don't know what your Bible says. My Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Revelation 5 gives us the clearest description of worship in heaven. You know what amazes me? While we're worshiping down here, they're worshiping the angels and the 24 elders and all that. They're worshiping in heaven right now. They're worshiping in heaven. But do you know what the center of worship is up there? It's still the cross of Jesus Christ, what Jesus did to the cross. Why do we call ourselves cross assembly? Because it all goes back to what Jesus did at the cross. I mean, in Revelation chapter five, verse nine, it says, they were singing this new song. You were slain. Where, where was he slain? At the cross. And you redeemed us to God by your blood. Where was his blood shed? At the cross. Verse 12, John says, I heard millions of people singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Folks, the most pivotal event in human history is not somewhere out in the future. It's in the past where Jesus died at the cross. That is the fulcrum of human history right there. It all goes back to what Jesus did at the cross. And Charles Spurgeon said, Oh, that I could have the cross painted on my eyeballs, that I could not see anything except through the lens of my Savior's death. And I want you to look at it for just a moment. You know, I have sat in Jerusalem, but as I sat there at the base of Calvary, I looked up there and I thought, what must he have looked like on that cross? His skin is just in shreds and ribbons. Nails in his wrists and feet. Dying for me. 
Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for, for you. And the thing about that blood, it was, a, it was just a bloody scene between the scourging and the piercing. And, you know, your, your scalp has a lot of veins going in it. The blood that must have just come off his scalp through this crown of thorns, there's blood everywhere. He said, why so much blood? Because the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But I'm such a messed up person, and you're such a messed up person. Only the blood of Jesus Christ could cleanse me. But here's what I believe. I believe one microscopic cell of that blood applied to my spirit washes away all my sins. And I've said this before, I don't care what you've done, who you've done it with, or how many times you have done it, there is forgiveness to be found. Thank you for your precious blood that purifies us from all unrighteousness. One of the earliest prayers of the church is this, Maranatha, even so, come Lord Jesus, come back. We're ready. How many of y'all ready for Jesus? Just come take you. Are y'all ready? I'm ready. Lord, we surrender this planet. What's going on in the news? COVID? Cancer? Rebellious kids? We, we just surrender it all to you because you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day soon, you're going to make everything right. And now to him who is able to do, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you, beloved. Let's go change this world for Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. I believe gathering together is an integral part of the life of a Christian. We're meant to live in community with others. What drew me to Cross Assembly is the community, the fellowship. I was eager to get that family feel and to have that moment of coming into church and just knowing these are my people, these are the people of God. And one way that I felt that at Cross was through groups. Being able to come here and feeling like that group of people, they were my people, they were my family. Groups are important because it is a way to learn how to be the church and not just go to church. It's one of those things that definitely makes you feel a sense of belonging, understanding that you're not alone. One of the most impactful semesters we've had has been a semester where almost everyone in our group was going through big life changes. There was sickness, loss of job. As one person shared, we prayed. Then another person was encouraged and they shared and we prayed. Throughout that semester, we saw God move in amazing ways. We have this saying that friends become family. That's what we've experienced through gathering together. You're finding people who are serious about their faith, who want to grow deeper, who also are looking out for you like a church family is supposed to look out for each other. My relationship with God has 
increased dramatically. Being connected to the group really allows people to challenge me. That general accountability for my prayer life and kind of checking that. My favorite aspect of groups is serving. Serving is really a chance to humble yourself. You're no longer focused inwardly. You're no longer focused on your life, your problems. You're focused on how can God use me to bless this other person. The more we can get together and align with the vision of building and sending out those spirit-filled agents, the more our community will see the true love of Jesus. When you serve together with someone, it not only helps you to no longer be inward focused, but it can also strengthen a bond between the friend that you're serving with because both of you are humbling yourselves in order to help someone else. It can create memories that you'll never forget. If you are not in a group, I strongly encourage you to be a part of the family. You don't want to miss these opportunities to grow together, to gather together, to fellowship, and to serve one another. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's Truth Unfiltered. (laughs) 